And we'll be looking this morning at John chapter 6, verses 15 through 27. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, um, we're so thankful for Lord, the joy of being your people. The joy of, of knowing that every sin that we've ever committed has been hurled into the depths of the sea. That we, we have a righteousness that's not our own, but a righteousness that's been placed upon us as a result of just the marvelous work of you, Christ, and what you accomplished here. Giving us your righteousness and taking away our sin. We praise you for that, Lord. We pray, Lord, that um, as we study your word this morning, that you would just speak to each one of us here. That you would, that you would minister to us, that you would cause eyes to be open. Um, that you would remove sin from our lives. That you'd cause faith to grow, that we would grow in our faith towards you. Lord, if we came in here this morning having just small thoughts of you, Lord, that we would leave just having glorious thoughts of you, seeing your majesty, your power, your sovereignty over all things. And I pray, Lord, that that throughout this week that you would be blessing everything that takes place at family camp, that we draw so close to you and, and have sweet times of worship, that we'd be safe and, and it would be full of, of just much joy. I pray that as a congregation that this week would be a, a week of incredible thanksgiving, that we would be those that come back and say thank you, come back and praise you, come back and call upon you and, and, and give you glory for all that you have accomplished in our lives. And Lord, we, we, we pray that in, in every way this morning that you would just minister to our hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then They willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they had ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. 
And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and, and said, Most assuredly, I, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. We looked last week through verse 15, but again in verse 15 we find that um, after Jesus had fed the the, the 5,000 men and all of the women and all of the children, um, looking at what more than likely was well over 20,000 people, loaves and, and fish coming out and just him multiplying it and feeding them and doing it miraculously, they immediately want to force him to be their king. Um, they, they want freedom from the Roman Empire, but they're looking at it and they're seeing him totally different than the way that They ought to have. So Jesus departs again to the mountain by himself to be alone. It tells us now, and when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into the boat and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. We look and when we we study a passage like this, it's, 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 it's wonderful to go and look at other passages of scripture that teach the same thing. Um, you, you have the, the account of, of Matthew, and you have the account of Mark, and you look, and, and, and each of them give different details of what is taking place that enables us to have a, a better picture of what's taking place here. But Matthew tells us that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Um, he made his disciples get in the boat. He's there, and, and, and he tells his disciples, get into the boat, go to the other side, I'm staying here. And then we're told in verse 18, then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. We, we look at what's taking place here, and we see from the, from the very beginning that Jesus is calling his disciples to get into a boat without him, to go to the other side. Knowing that the sea is going to become such that they're tossed all over the place in the boat. We look at this, the Sea of Galilee, and it sits about 600 feet below sea level. And, and what happens is the waters, or the, the, the winds come off the Mediterranean, and they go through that valley, and it, it just can at times make it so that there's just incredible speeds of, of, of the wind going through that, that valley and stirs up the water. But this is such that um, it's incredibly powerful winds and waves. Matthew tells us the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Um, Mark tells us now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, And he was alone on the land, meaning Jesus. And when Jesus saw them straining and rowing, for the wind was against them. And it was about the fourth watch of the night when he came to them. And so you look, and and Matthew gives us the details that Jesus is there up on the shore alone. Or up there alone in a time of prayer. 
But he's there and he sees them. He sees what's taking place. Even though it's in the fourth hour, meaning it's, it's in the middle of the night. Jesus is there seeing them rowing, them straining, them going and, and, and trying their hardest to get to the other side. You can imagine that they, they would have left there just as the sun was, was, was setting and now they're at 3, 4 in the morning. And so the time span that has gone by has been significant and they're there and the waves are just coming over their heads and, and, and in a place where even seasoned fishermen like Peter are in a place of, of, of panic. In John six nineteen it says, So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. You begin to look at passages like this, and you think, okay, so why did this happen? What's the Lord doing here? He knows that there's going to be this incredible storm there on the sea. He sends the disciples ahead. He sees them rowing and straining and doing everything they can to get to the other side. And in the midst of it, as they're in a place of of incredible fear, he walks out to them on the water. I mean, something that people can't do, can they? I don't know if you ever tried to walk on water. It, It doesn't go well for anybody. I mean, you're looking at it and just picturing him and, and there's these waves and they're several feet high and the, the boat's going up and down and they're straining and it's in, in the early morning and they've only gone about three or four miles and they're trying to get to the other side and they're there and they're going and they look and they see in the distance someone that looks like a man coming towards them. We're told that... that from Matthew that says, he says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. So they're looking and they're seeing him coming and it's a, go- it's a ghost. How else can you explain someone walking on the water towards us? The waves are coming and they're just looking. They're seeing someone walking right on top of the water as if it's just made of concrete, just walking towards them. Mark 6 tells us, And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and they cried out. They're they're scared to death, as any of us would be. I mean, if you could imagine just being in a boat, you're already exhausted by trying to get to the other side. You're gaining no ground. You've gone three or four miles. You have a huge distance to go. You're in the middle of this this Sea of Galilee and, and... having no idea whether your boat's just going to fall apart or whether it's going to sink or what's going to happen. And all of a sudden you see someone who looks like a ghost coming towards you, walking on the water. And they immediately go into a place of panic. I mean, the fishermen are scared. But think of like tax collectors and others who are there just watching. They're not used to this. They're not used to being in, in storms like this. Jesus says to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. He calls out to them as they're there in the boat. And you can imagine all of them, who is that? What is that? What is it's a ghost. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. I mean, just trembling as far as what is going to happen to us in 
Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid. Matthew tells us that he also said, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Be of good cheer. Mark tells us the same thing. It's, it's be filled with joy right now. It's I, it is I. You don't need to be afraid. Matthew gives us more details. Why don't we turn there for a moment to Matthew chapter 14 and verse 28. We see him insert something that takes place here. Matthew 14, verse 28. Here we, we're told what took place right after Jesus said, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. It says, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those who were, on the, who were on, in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Matthew gives us those details as far as what also took place in this. And you can just picture it. They're there in the boat. They see him going, a, a, walking towards them as he's walking on the sea. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, we, we don't know exactly what he's thinking. We don't know his motives. We don't know what's going on in Peter's heart. Maybe it's, I want to do that. I want to walk on water. I, I, I think that, that there's a better chance, though, that he's looking at Christ, the one that had just had the loaves come out, multiply the fish, the one that he had seen heal so many people, the one that he had drawn so near to, to where He's in this boat, and he's, he's probably the guy in charge, wouldn't you think? Big Peter, in a place of, he's the fisherman, he has all the expertise, he knows what to do. And he's looking at it, and the boat's just going, and it may be that he's just like, I want to be with you. I, I just, I just want to be with you right now. If it's you, bid me to come. Command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, come. Now you look at this and it's not just that Peter had such great faith as far as here is my faith and here is how huge it is. I'm going to come and he's, I'm going I'm to walk out on the water. Rather, his, his faith is in, Lord, if that's you, command me to come. Tell me to do this. If you command me to come, then I will come. I don't want to come unless you tell me to come. But if at your word you tell me to come, then I'm going to come. 
And I look at this and I, I, I think of just our lives. You, you, you look at this and you, you read the story and you can picture the waves crashing in and them in the boat and them just rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing, trying to get to the other side, but it gets to a place where it, you're just going and you're feeling like you're making no ground and you're just exhausted and you're scared and you don't know what's going to happen. And I look at that and I think that's just how life is for us so often, isn't it? I, I tell my precious wife, sweetheart, once, once this takes place, it should ease up a little bit. And I kind of stopped saying that because about six years ago she said, you know, you, you tell me that year after year after year. And it never gets easier. It doesn't. It's just like, okay, well, now, like, okay, we got through that, but now there's this, and now there's that. And you look, and doesn't life just feel like that sometimes? You, you're rowing, and you're rowing, and you don't feel like you're just getting anywhere, and you're exhausted. And you go on vacation, and you come back more exhausted. And you, you look, and, and you, you just, you think of life, and you think of what you're doing, and you look, and there just seems to be just waves coming in. Things that you just don't expect. I mean, it's like it was hard enough like this, but then this happened. Then we suffered from this trial, from this tribulation. There's this sickness. Or things were going so well, but then this happened to the economy or this happened to my job. And you just start looking at things. And for us as people in the midst of all of it, it can just feel like there's just billows of waves just coming at you. And you're just... You're doing what we so often say, of just, you're, you're trying to keep your head above water, right? You're just trying to keep your head above water. And you may look and have the wisdom of my wife of just saying, I don't see anywhere where it's going to get easier. It just doesn't look like there's any kind of light at any kind of end of any kind of tunnel. It just looks black out there. I mean, you just, I just see more waves coming my way. But then you start thinking of, God, what are you calling me to do? Like, what are you, what are you calling me to do? If, if you command me to do this, then I will do it. If at your word you say do this, then I'll do it. I mean, you can look at everything that is coming our direction and, and look and, and just say, Lord, I, I know that you can enable me to do this. I mean, if he commands us to forgive as Christ is forgiven, as hard as that may seem, as you look at it and just say, like, I don't think I could do that. If he commands you to do it, there is an enabling power as the Holy Spirit is given to us to do it. He can enable us to overcome temptation. So faithful to do it. He tells us to put on the full armor of God. But we serve a God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. A God who is the author and the finisher of our faith. He began a good work and he's faithful to complete it. A God that is working in us. We could go through trials where it just seems like waves are coming and coming and coming. And we look at what James tells us and he tells us to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because the testing of our faith produces patience. He's working in us. He's molding us. He's conforming us into his image. And to be at a place of, of 
being in the storm and being on the sea and trying to keep your head above water, but looking at it and saying, but he commands us to do things. He commands us to forgive. He commands us to keep our eyes fixed upon him. He commands us to, to seek him, to pray to him. He commands us to go and, and, and to proclaim the gospel. He commands us to, to be in, in, in such that we're, we're, we're husbands who love our wives as Christ loved the church. There's this love that's to be there between husbands and wives. And it's not something where we are called to do this on our own. We're called to do this through his enabling. We're called to do this because he, he has commanded us to do this. I mean, to, to have a view of God that looks at it as far as like when the waves are coming in and he commands us to do something, to be able to have such a view of him to say, well, if he commands me to do that, surely he can enable me to do that. I look and, and I'll, I'll talk with people who are in the midst of incredible difficulties or in a place where the relationship does not look like it's going to work. And you'll hear them say things like, this never, ever going to work. And my response is, yeah, if it was dependent upon you, you're right. There's no chance. I mean, if it was dependent upon whether you can, like, muster it up and do it, there's, there is no chance that it's going to work. But if he's commanded you to do this, and if he's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure... If it is God who is our strength and it is God who is working to sanctify us and to mold us and to change us. If it's God who, who changes hearts, like I mean just changes hearts. A God that can do that. A God that is, as we call out to him in prayer, God please enable me to do this. Enable me to see this differently. Enable my heart to be different. We, we serve a God who could change hearts. I mean you look around this room and I would venture to say that all of us would look and say like I am here. Because God changed my heart. I think of people in whom he saves where you, you think of them and, and think, like, that is like the last person that I think would ever be a Christian. And some of you are sitting here today. Think of a, a mom who prayed for you, a dad who prayed for you, a grandma who prayed for you. You're wandering and doing your own thing and God just changed your affections completely to where your heart turned towards him. Peter's there and says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. That meant everything to him. Come. Come. So what does Peter do? Comes down out of the boat and he starts walking on the water to go to Jesus. He just starts walking. I mean, you, could, you could picture Peter just as far as like, probably fully dressed, probably pretty wet already from the storm that's been there, exhausted, sees his Lord. If it's you, command me to come. Come. Reaches out, puts his foot in the water, just not knowing quite what's going to happen, but puts his foot there, and what happens? It's like it's on solid ground. And he just starts to walk. And you look and you see what happens where, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and he began to sink. All of the wording of all of this is, is, is such that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us from this particular passage of what's taking place. H- how many times in this life do we look, and our faith is big. I can, I'll, I'll do this. I, 
I could do this. I mean, if he's going to call me to do it, and if he's going to enable me to do it, I can, I can do it. And then we take a step out, and we start going, and it's like, we're gone. It's working. We're going. I'm going to fix my eyes on him. And then all of a sudden, the winds are boisterous or something happens. It's like, oh, no, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? It's never going to work. It's never going to work. I don't know why I did this. I don't know. And we go into a panic. Our faith is like that. Our faith can go from being so big to being so small in just a matter of, of, of moments where you look and it's just, what happened? I mean, you were so confident in Christ. And now you've gone right back to your own self. You hear where God says to the Galatians, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now trying to make yourself perfect in the flesh? We could look and think of ourselves and and, and look and say, okay, it's got to be him. He's going to have to do it. He's going to have to give me the strength. And then we start to sink. And we start to go down. I mean, I think it's gracious here where you you see where God says he began to sink. He just began to. Usually, you don't begin to sink. You just sink. I won't tell you which family members, but I have some family members that they don't sink that well. I sink. I mean, if I were to go into a pool, I'll go right down the bottom. I could sit at the bottom of a pool. Some of my family members act more like buoys, and they can just stay there all day long. You can imagine who they might be. But you look and... Usually you just sink, right? You, you, you sink. But well, he just begins to sink. He's in the midst of the storm and he starts looking at the circumstances. The wind is blowing harder and harder. And his faith gets smaller and smaller. And he begins to sink. But in the midst of sinking, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. I love this. I mean, you look at it in the midst of times where our faith can be the weakest. God, by his grace, can still cause us to, to know that the answer is, Lord, save me. Coming to a place where we're, we're sensible again, our minds are clear again, we, we're falling, we're in a desperate place, Lord, save me. I think that um, I think that frequently God puts us in places where the words that come out of our mouths are just that. Lord, save me. A place of I can't do. I can't. I can't do it. I mean, you could think that you have all these resources and think that everything's okay, but God brings us to a place frequently where it's just I have nowhere else to go. I mean, I thought that I could do it, but I have nowhere else to go. God, save me. Please save me. He brings Peter to a point where he, he recognizes Christ as his Lord. Incredible word of reverence towards Christ. He's sinking down and it's just, Lord, Lord God, you have to... You have to do something. Save me. Jesus doesn't respond to him by saying like, no, save yourself. That's it. Peter, you have blown it so many times as my disciple. You're on your own this time. Let's see how well you can swim. 
He doesn't. It, it tells us immediately. Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Immediately. He doesn't waste any time. He just immediately stretches out his hand and catches him as he's sinking. But then he says to him, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, we, we may look at this and say, well, of course he doubt. I mean, if you were walking on water and there's a storm and there's waves and there's boisterous wind and you're just, you're walking, you're walking on water out towards your Savior. It's hard to judge Peter too much and say like, why would you even doubt? I mean, any one of us would be like, I can't believe that I'm walking on water. I can't, I, but the wind's still blowing. And you can imagine coming to a place of, I think I'm going to sink, I'm going to sink, I'm going to sink. And that's what he does. But the Lord says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter may say, because I've never done this before. Like, I've never walked on water before. I've never been in a storm and got out of my boat. I tried to stay in my boat in the midst of storms. I've never done this before. And yet, we serve a God who could call us to do something in which we have never done before. Like, you've never done this before. It's out of your comfort zone. You've never experienced this before. You, you don't have situations where, you know, like, well, I've failed this many times at it, and now, like, I mean, I've learned, I've learned, and I'm doing great. It's the first time that you've ever gone through a trial like this, ever been in situations where the waves were coming at you with all kinds of different trials like that. And yet, Jesus would still say to us, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The reason why he would say that is because Peter's view of Christ was way too small. It was just way too small. Likewise for us, how many times is our view of God just way too small? I mean, he can do anything. He can move mountains. He can do whatever he desires to do. We could call upon him and anything that we call upon him and that is according to his will, he could accomplish. When he says things like, like, all things work together for good to those who love him and are the called. When he says things like, like that, where he, he, he gives us this, this blanket statement that, that he works all things together for good in our lives, even in the midst of storms, we can count it all joy. To be in a place of, of, of seeing that, and yet certain trials come in, and it's just, ah, why this? How is this going to work? We start to sink, and... It's at that time where God would still say, why would you doubt? Whether you've ever been through this before, whether this is the most crazy thing that you could ever think of doing, we serve a God who's so big that if he calls us to do something, there should be no fear in our lives as far as whether we could do it or not. I think frequently in such a way where I just think, my faith is too small. My view of him is too small. I mean, I, I'll have, like we talked about last week, I'll have just a gigantic view of God in certain circumstances, and then I'll, I'll get to a place of like, okay, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how it's going to work out. Why this? Why now? I, I, I 
think that it's in times like that that God shows us just how huge he is. Well, he got into the boat and the wind ceased. Peter and Jesus get into the boat and the wind immediately goes still. Those who were in the boat came and worshipped him. The disciples worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. There is a reason. There is a reason why Jesus said, you guys get in the boat and go. Get in the boat and go. Knowing that they were going to be in a storm. Knowing that they were going to be in a place where the winds were just incredible and they thought they were going to sink. There's a reason why he said, get into the boat. He was bringing them to a place where they would say, worshiping him, truly, you are the son of God. We just saw you walk on, we walked on water. You came to us, you made the wind go still. We saw Peter, I mean, Peter, gigantic Peter. Peter walked across the water to you. He started sinking and you, you so lovingly grabbed him and rebuked him for the fact that his faith so small and he shouldn't have doubted. Bringing the disciples to a place of, we shouldn't doubt, we should trust him. We should just know if he calls us to do something, we should do it. But he was bringing them to a place of truly, you are the son of God. If we had time, we could probably go around this room and just look, go around the sanctuary and just talk with people where, when did God bring you to this point? And I'd venture to say several of us would look at our lives and say, this is what was taking place. This is what I was going through. I started to sink. And when I started to sink, it was at that time that he grabbed me. It was at that time that he revealed himself to me. Getting to a place where this is what he has done in my life to bring me to a place where I just worship him. I trust him. I know who he is. Peter, Peter learned an incredible lesson from this. You think of in 1 Peter chapter 1, probably a familiar passage to most of you. I'll read it to you. In verse 6, Peter's talking with the people. Now, now, Now Peter is, he's seen Christ die and rise again from the dead. And he appeared to all the disciples after he rose again from the dead. And now Peter is one of the leaders within the church. And Peter's speaking to the people in this particular letter. And he says to them, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Th- think of just like, The way in which Peter says this to the people. In this you greatly rejoice, you guys. You have so much joy. Brothers and sisters at Reverence Bible Church, you have so much joy. But but right now for a little while, if need be, if it is necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Like if if it's necessary. You've been grieved by various trials. And you can look at your lives and say, like, well, I don't know why it's necessary. I don't, know. I, don't, I don't know why this would ever be necessary. And yet, how many of those disciples that were sitting in that boat thought, why? 
Why did he tell us to go to the other side? Why are we in this boat? Why is he not with us? I almost could guarantee you there was conversations that took place on the boat as far as they're on the boat going over the other side. Like, do you remember? Do you remember John chapter 1? You, you remember when we were in the boat and he made the, 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 the sea go calm? If he was with us right now, he would make the sea go calm. Like, he's so far away. We, we left him over there. He's by himself. And now we're out here. We're all alone. We're going to sink. We're probably going to die. If he was just here with us, he could do what he did. You know, we, we woke him up. He was sleeping. Remember when he was sleeping and he got up and he just made the sea go still? If he were just here, we could, we could do that again. And yet, he's teaching him, I'm always with you guys. I'm all, even when you think I'm far away. I'm not. I'm right there. I could come walking out to you in the water. There's no place that you can hide from me. There's no place that's too far. And and for us as Christians to be able to look at that and say, there's no place that you can be at that's too far away from a sovereign God who can work mightily and minister to us. But sometimes it's need be that we're grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. It might be necessary, brothers and sisters, right now that you go through various trials. But what it's going to do is it's going to just show the genuineness of your faith. You're going to go through a trial, and as a result, your faith is going to be shown as genuine. It's, it's, it's a faith that's, that's more precious than gold that perishes. I mean, think about that. You go through a trial, and it's just, he's showing my faith. It's, it's more precious than gold. It's more precious than anything this world could ever offer. Even though it's tested by fire, this can be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going through this incredible trial and I'm going through all of these things and yet the kind of faith in which the Lord has given me and the way in which I see him and what he's done in my heart even in the midst of this trial, he's molding me and conforming me to to where I have this faith that's so much more precious than anything else, than gold that perishes and it's going to be found to praise him. It's going to be found to honor him. I'm going to go through this trial and and, and I'm going to come out and, and, and just... Still, it it is well with my soul. I love him. Even though I've never seen him, I love him. And he'll be exalted. You hear Paul saying things like, for our light affliction is just but for a moment. And it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's working mightily. Even when we come to a place of death, let not your heart be troubled, John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus says. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I've gone to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I mean, to have a God that sees the big big picture and he knows the number of our days and to go through incredible trials and then have him say, to us as his people, we don't have to let our hearts be troubled. We believe in him. He's gone to prepare a place for us. So what do the disciples do? They willingly, first, if you turn back to John 6, 21, then they willingly received him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. That's important there in and of itself. They were in the middle of this sea. Jesus gets in the boat, the water is still, and then the disciples said, the water went still. And it wasn't, okay, well now we got to row, row, row our boats for however long. It was just, Christ took them right where they needed to be. Instantaneously, right there. How do they respond to something like that? Mark tells us that they went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and they marveled. They were greatly amazed beyond measure and they marveled. Chapter 6, verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which the disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, the other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So what John's telling us is they saw Jesus not get into the boat. Now he's on the other side. How did you get here? They've all come. They're still seeking him. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You seek me. You're looking for me. And it wasn't because you saw the signs, and you saw the signs in such a way that you just fell in love with me and wanted to follow me and wanted to take up your cross and follow me and become my disciples and leave everything and follow me as your Lord and as your Savior. You, you're seeking me because you ate the loaves and you were filled. You're coming after me because you want to eat again. You like the bread. You like the fish. You want me to... to to, to multiply it again. You just, you, you want to eat again. That's why you're coming for me. That's why you've come. It's Blue Letter Bible. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Whoever has their phone turned on, you should probably turn that off. Um, it's how you look at this. So badly want to know who that is. Um, you, you look at what's taking place here, though. And they're seeking him because of the stuff. You, you know, like, I, I see this sometimes. I, I, I see it where people, they, they start coming to church. Why? 
because they're sick, because finances are bad, because they're going through a hard time. When things get better, you don't see him anymore. You see people where they, they, they want to follow him when it's, I need this or I need that. They're not coming because they treasure him above all things. You hear him saying, like, you're seeking me because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes. You just, you just want the food. You, we could be in a place where we're hungry and finances are bad and we come and, and, and God blesses us and he makes it so that our needs are provided for and you're able to eat tomorrow. But if, if you're anything like me and you eat tomorrow, on Tuesday, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be hungry again. That's what happens to me at least. I'm hungry again the next day. I might be fully satisfied, but the next day, I'm hungry again. And Jesus is saying, don't labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Don't labor for things that perish. You guys are coming after me because you want the loaves and you want the fish again. But come for me. Come because you want me. Come because you treasure me because you want to follow me because I am your Lord and I am your Savior and I am your Creator. I created all things and you'll stand before me. Come because you adore me because I took your sin upon myself because I gave you your righteousness because I give you eternal life because I give you a free gift that you can never earn, a payment that has been paid that you could never pay. I make it so you don't have to spend eternity in hell. I make it so you're my bride. I make it so you're my people. I make it so I bless you with every spirit blessing in the heavenly places. I've gone to create a place for you and I'm going to bring you to myself and I'll make it so you spend eternity with me in glory and you will have me and I will be there with you and I will walk with you and you'll have everlasting life where forever you will see my glory and you'll experience the joy that it comes from being in my presence. Come because you want me, not because you want simply to eat the loaves again. Something eternal, something that is real. I pray to God that we as a congregation would look and it wouldn't be, okay, when things are bad, I better go to church. But the we as God's people are there. I just want something. I want the bread of life. I want him. I, I mean, we need food daily. We want to be comfortable. But more important than any of that is we want him. We love him. We worship him. Whether our hands are full or whether our hands are are empty. It is him alone that we long for, isn't it? And that is what he is telling these people. Don't labor after the things that perish. They're going to be gone. Labor after me. Seek me. Desire me because you'll never desire anything ever again once you have feasted on me. (laughs) Who can say something like that? Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the omnipotent God, the eternal God, the one in whom truly can bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and give you everlasting life. He alone can say things like that, and it is true, and it is real, and it is glorious. And it's to him in whom we come before to worship now. Will you pray with me?
Lord God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for this passage. We, we thank you for scripture that just makes us look at our lives and the trials and the tribulations, the waves that come upon us, and hear the sweet voice of our Savior saying, why did you doubt? We serve the same God who gives us eternal life, gives us a a fountain of living waters that makes it so that we never thirst again. God who's so powerful that there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from your will. A God who's so powerful that you can cause people to rise from the dead. You can speak things into existence. You can have manna come down from heaven. You can multiply fish in loaves. You own the cattle on a thousand hills and there's nothing that's too hard for you. You can make lepers clean and blind people able to see and lame people able to walk. You can make people who are sick totally and completely healed. At the same time, you can take us and you can, according to your perfect plan, bring us to eternity with you in heaven where we enter into joy inexpressible and full of glory, the joy of the Lord. I pray, Lord, that our view of you would be such that we just trust you and love you and feast upon you. And I pray that our hearts would be like those disciples having seen you come and walk on the water and call Peter out and still the storm cause the wind to stop, that we too would worship you. For truly you are the Son of God. And it's to you whom we live and trust and know that our salvation comes from you and your work upon the cross. I pray that you'd cause yourself just to be glorified through the praises of your people now. In Jesus' name, amen.